0: Thank you for tuning in to the Sermon of the Week podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to sow the Word of God by spreading the gospel message. Each episode is a lesson that was presented from one of your hosts within this network. We hope that this will benefit your study and your walk with Christ.
1: So we begin this morning, I want you to jump into a time machine with me, and I want us to travel back to the end of the year 2019. I know it's not going too far back, but you know, throughout the last few months of 2019, September, October, November, maybe even into December, you, like many of us, heard and maybe even talked about how we were about to go into a new year. And how everyone kind of played off of the year 2020 about how we're going to have 2020 vision going into this new year, right? A few months of 2019 that everything that would have happened would happen. I would, you're crazy. There's no way that's going to happen. And yet here we are, right? Every single year, though, we see death, don't we? Every single year there's heartache and there's heartbreak. Every single year we, we see turmoil, we see strife, we see pain. Every single year there are things that happen that we simply wish never would have ever happened, But some years just seem worse than others, don't they? Robert Kennedy, also known as RFK, he was the United States Attorney General from 1961 to 1964. I find it interesting that he said this. He said, all of us might at times wish we lived in a more tranquil world, but we don't. He said, and if our times are difficult and perplexing, so are they challenging and filled with opportunity. I think many of us might look at this past year that we've had and think, what a horrible year. We might look at all the things that happened and think, what a terrible, terrible year. And maybe that phrase or something like that has come off of your lips or maybe it's even gone through your mind. Let me take you back to the beginning of this year. And I want to briefly kind of walk you through this year, do somewhat of a timeline through 2020, and some of it will be COVID-related, some of it will just be other events that happened in this year, but I want you to kind of maybe remember in your minds as to, all, as to some of the things that we've gone through this year. On January 6th of this year, the CDC issued their first travel warnings for Americans traveling to China. January 16th, the United States began screening airline passengers who were coming back from China. January 20th, just four days later, the first case of COVID-19 was reported in the United States of America. January 26th, some of you might remember this, in Calabasas, California, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, Gianna, as well as seven other individuals died in a helicopter crash. January 31st, traveling to China was banned. February 29th, the first death from COVID was reported. March 3rd, at least 25 people were killed from in the Nashville area from at least 11 tornadoes that touched down. March 11th, the World Health Organization, or WHO uh, for short, they declared the COVID outbreak to be a pandemic in this time that we're living. Also on March 11th, the first player tested positive for COVID, and so the NBA suspended their season. Just one day later, March 12th, the MLB suspended spring training. They delayed their season, and then the NHL and the MLS both suspended their entire seasons. March 13th, the US declared that we were living in a state of a national emergency. March 17th, the NCAA canceled March Madness. March 19th, lockdowns began to take place. April 2nd, there are more than 1 million COVID cases worldwide. April 5th, masks were beginning to come into the picture and they began to be encouraged uh, by most everyone. April 13th, the IRS began to send out its first batch of stimulus checks. April 27th, the United States passed, the United States passed over 1 million COVID cases. May 25th, rioting and looting began to be a thing, and it began to be common for us to see that on the news every single night. June 10th, the U.S. reached over 2 million COVID cases. July 25th, Hurricane Hannah made landfall in South Texas. August 4th, there was a massive explosion. And I remember this vividly because Jonathan and I were talking about this in his office just a few days later. But on August 4th, that massive explosion, explosion excuse me, in Beirut in Lebanon uh, killed at least 190 people. August 28th, Chadwick Boseman, the very famous actor for Black Panther, he died of colon cancer at the age of 43. September 6th, California set a new record for the area of land that was destroyed by wildfires. September 16th, Hurricane Sally made landfall, and I'm going to stop there because we could go on and on, and I left a lot of things out, but after that, it gets very political, and a lot of the things that happen, and I'm not not going to get into any of that, but what a year we've had, right? You know, we talk so much about going into this year with 2020 vision. We talk so much about how we need to make sure we see things clearly, about how we need to have clear vision going into all these things that we're about to do, but what is it that they always say? They say hindsight is 2020, correct? You can't really look into the future and see things with 2020 vision because we don't know what's gonna happen in the future. But as we've lived through everything, we can look back now in hindsight and see things clearly. We can see things with 2020 vision. So, what I want us to do this morning is I want us to keep this past year in our minds. And I want us to see this past year, 2020, with 2020 vision. And I want us to look at some of the lessons that we can learn from having come out of a year that we have just lived. Number one, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Go to James chapter 4 with me this morning. James chapter 4. How many of you this year had plans that just didn't come to fruition? I think every single one of us had plans this year that we had to cancel. I think about athletes. How athletes were unable to practice, how many games were canceled, uh, whether at a high school, middle school, varsity, uh, collegiate, or professional level. Many athletes had a very different lives this year. I think about students, how many students, and even right now, they're unable to be in classes with one another. How they, they, for high school seniors, how this past year was so strange for them and how many high school graduations were postponed or done virtually or maybe even canceled at times. I think about families. I know every single family had to alter and change their plans for this past year. I think about the church. And for me, I was able to see this from two different perspectives because at the beginning of the year, I was serving as a minister for another congregation in North Carolina. But then for the last half of this year, I've been able to be here with you all. And I've seen two different congregations go through the exact same issues and how they've had to make the exact same decisions, and they've been faced with the exact same situations. I've seen events, uh, events been canceled. I've seen events been postponed. I've seen different things happen, and I've seen how the church has greatly suffered from this past year. I think about my schedule, and Jonathan will tell you this, because for preachers' schedules, their schedule changed so much. But I think about the gospel meetings and the youth rallies and PTP and summer camps and things like that, that were canceled, that we weren't able to do because of everything that happened this past year. We all had plans. We all had things that we wanted to do. We all had goals that we wanted to attain. We all, in some sense, had lives that we wanted to live a very certain and specific way. And because of unforeseen circumstances, many of these things that we wanted to do, we were just unable to do, which makes me wonder, when we plan in life, and yes, you should plan, if you don't plan, nothing ever gets done. But let me ask you this, how do you plan? You think about all these things that you need to do in your mind, and you want all of these things to go a certain and to go a specific way. And many times for us, if they don't go that way, what happens? We tend to break down a little bit, don't we? We tend to get stressed, and we wonder, well, what's going on? Why are these things not happening the way that I want them to happen? And James chapter 4, James paints for us a picture of someone who's making these plans. And again, there's nothing wrong with making plans, but there is something wrong when someone makes these plans, without God in mind. Look at James chapter 4. Look at verse 13 with me. James says, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Verse 15, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. I want to mention three things about this short passage of Scripture before we move on this morning. Number one, there's a danger in planning without God. There is a danger in planning without God. Notice again verse 13. Notice that they choose their own time, today or tomorrow. Notice that they choose their own location, such and such a city. Notice they choose the duration, how long they're going to be there. They're going to spend a year there. Notice that they chose what they were going to do, buy and sell. Notice that they chose what their objective was. They were going to make a profit. Again, inherently, nothing is wrong with that, is there? Their planning was fine, but the error of their ways was when they planned without God in mind. You see, they left the most important and the most powerful being out of their plans. It makes me think about an employee who, who, who tries to make a decision for the company without consulting the CEO, the one in charge of everything. Someone once said this, commence with prayer. Construct the plan. Choose the place, chart the progress, calculate the profit, and then conclude with prayer. It begins and it ends with Almighty God. Number two, we talked about the danger of planning without God. Number two, let's talk about the presumption of the godless. The presumption of the godless. If you or I or anyone who lives, if they live a life without God in it, then they will plan and they will live and presume about everything in life. They'll presume about everything in life, won't they? If we live without God in our lives, then that opens the door to live and choose however we want to, doesn't it? Just like the rich man in Luke chapter 12, we're going to eat, we're going to drink, we're going to be merry, and we're going to live as if there is no importance or meaning to planning with God in mind. We'll presume that we can do this. We'll presume that we can do that. We'll just assume that how we live and the choices that we make are okay. That's how the godless live their lives. But on the contrast, number three, we could talk about the priority of the godly. The priority of the godly. It was interesting because within the church, and this is a little bit off topic, so bear with me, but it's interesting when, we, when I look at the church, oftentimes we tell people so much what they can't do. You can't do this, you can't do those things, you can't do this, and rightly so. There are things that we need to know that we cannot partake in if we want to be faithful Christians, but so oftentimes we forget to tell them what they can do. So oftentimes we focus on the cannots rather than the cans. And people don't understand how they can go and live their lives. And so James, interestingly enough, tells them what they can't do. But then he ends it by saying, here's what you ought to do instead. You see, everything that we do, everything that we plan, every choice that we make ought to have God in mind. Whether it be that moment, whether it be that next day, the next week, the next month, the next year. We ought to depend upon God and his word. And when we do that, that will push us to plan with him in mind. Because without God, we're nothing, aren't we? Without God, we have nothing, we are nothing, we will never be nothing until we rely upon God. Submit to him, plan with him in mind. That way, whenever things go wrong, whenever things turn upside down, whenever we go through a time like this past year, we know that we can rely on God and know that we can get through whatever it is that happens. Number two, in God we trust. In God we trust. It was Mr. President Eisenhower who said in 1956, uh, rather he was the first one who required that phrase, in God we trust to be put on American currency. And to this day, we still find that phrase, in God we trust on not only our money, but on a lot of other things in life. And yet, unfortunately, I believe that we are living in a society who trusts in God less and less every single day. So much so to the point to where many individuals simply live their lives without regard for God at all. You know, I look back at this past year, at the year 2020, and I see, at least in my mind, the lack of trust in a higher power and in a higher being. We saw our world go through something that really no one else has ever seen before. We saw a virus sweep through our world we saw a pandemic take hold of nations. We saw our economy shut down. We saw, uh, we saw fires engulf entire cities. We saw hurricanes destroy towns. We saw tornadoes take hundreds of lives all throughout the year. Together we saw so much darkness, so much hurt, so much turmoil, so much pain in this life. Now imagine going through all of that without knowing that there's a greater being that has everything under. Control. Imagine living a life and bel- and not believing that there's something greater than just yourself. You see, we make mistakes all the time, don't we? We are flawed individuals. I am so thankful that we don't have to rely on ourselves. Aren't you? Aren't you thankful that you don't have to rely on your flawed self? That you can rely and look to a greater being. That we can look to a perfect God, and know that we can rely on Him, and not ourselves. We see too many people want that, don't they? Too many people don't want to submit to a higher power. Too many people don't want to submit to the authority that's over them. You can't tell me what to do. I don't need to trust in you, God. I'm self-sufficient. God, I don't need to rely on you. I don't need to trust in your power. I can look to myself. I can provide for myself. It reminds me of the lukewarm church at Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Jesus had just finished talking to those six churches of Asia. He turns his attention to the seventh church, to this lukewarm church, and I want to point out quickly that they thought they were self-sufficient. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 17, Jesus says, because you say that I am rich, you say that I'm wealthy, you say that I have need of nothing. You see, they thought they didn't need anything. They thought they were just fine. They thought that they didn't need to look at God. They thought that they could provide everything for themselves. And because of that, they thought they were perfect. They thought they were fine. They thought that they were A-OK and nothing was wrong. You see, why would in the world would anyone trust in God if they thought that they were self-sufficient? But then Jesus says, but do you not know that you're actually wretched? You're poor. You're miserable. You're blind. He says, you're naked. How do we view ourselves? How do we self-analyze ourselves? How do we look at ourselves and how do we diagnose the things that go on in our life? Are we just like those in Laodicea who don't trust in God and in turn wrongly assume about ourselves that we're perfectly fine and nothing's wrong, that we don't need Him? That's what it's truly boiled down to, isn't it? They thought they didn't need to rely on God. But then I read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him, And he shall direct your paths. I don't think we fully understand the magnitude of what Solomon is saying here. Don't trust in man. Man will always fail you. Don't trust in politics. Politics will always fail you. Don't trust in countries. Countries will always fail you. Don't trust in yourself. Because you'll fail yourself. Don't trust in this world. Don't trust in the things that make up this world. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. With all of your ways. Acknowledge him. You see, it ought to be absolute, shouldn't it? Our trust in God ought to possess no limits at all. We ought to be able to say what Job said, though he slay me, I will trust in him. You see, if we lean upon ourselves, if we look to ourselves and we think that we're great and we can lean upon ourselves, it means that we're in a sense laying our own foundation, aren't we? That we are allowing our wants and our desires to govern the way that we live our lives. But then I think about Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 where Jeremiah said, oh Lord, I know the way of man's not in himself. It's not a man who walks to direct his own steps. You see, we were designed. We were created to wholly and completely lean upon our creator. And how foolish we are if we think that we can go through this life without trusting in God. In fact, the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. There's a way that we think that we ought to live. There's a way that man thinks they ought to live and breathe and act. But you see, when we fill our minds with how we ought to live, we leave no room for trusting in God. Why would anyone want to build upon a flawed foundation? Why would any of us want to build a house upon a cracked foundation? No one would. So why would we do it spiritually? Why would we lean upon ourselves and our flawed thinking? Rather than looking to God, a perfect being and leaning on him, every single aspect of our lives, that ought to be governed by our trust and our acknowledgement of God, of who he is, of what he's done, of what he's doing, of what he's going to do in this life. Second Peter 1 and verse 3, as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In God we must trust. Number three, let's talk about time management. Time management. In 2017, the average American worker worked about 44 hours every single week. Some studies say that they worked 47 hours a week. Some studies say they worked as many as 50 hours a week. The average American watches around four hours of TV every single day. That equals out to about 28 hours every single week. Or if you, put it, if you look at it with the entire year, that's about two months of nonstop watching TV for the entire year. The average kid spends about six and a half hours in school every single day. The average kid spends about three hours playing video games every single day. The average kid also spends about 12 hours every week playing his or her favorite sport. You get the picture. Americans are busy, busy, busy people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then came 2020, right? And I understand that for some of you, this was not the case. Some of you don't fall into this category, but I also understand that for many Americans, this is what happened. For many individuals, workplaces shut down. For many individuals, layoffs happened. For many individuals, working from home began to be a reality. For many kids, virtual school became a reality. And suddenly, I think that Americans found themselves, and again, this is not everybody, but I think the majority of Americans found themselves with much more time at home to do much more of the things that they wanted to do. In other words, they found themselves with much more free time on their hands. And again, maybe you don't fall into this category. But regardless of that, how do you manage your time? How do you manage your time? What do you do with your time? Television, nothing wrong with that. Video games, nothing inherently wrong with that. Sports, school, friends, family, there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that, you know, so often and so many times, whenever we get any amount of extra free time, What do we do? We try to figure out how to best to use it. Do I spend it uh, taking my kid to this extra practice or extra game? Do I spend it by adding on another day of vacation? Do I spend it doing this or do I spend it doing that? Let me ask you this. When's the last time you took your child to a practice or to a game? And I understand pre-COVID this will be a lot different. Your answers will be a lot different. But let's say that we live in a pre-COVID time. When's the last time you would have taken your child to a sporting event? Or to 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 a a practice or to a game. When's the last time that you took your child to an extracurricular school event? When's the last time that you yourself, whether at home or in person, went to a work event? Now let me ask you a question. I want you to be extremely honest. I want you to be brutally honest with yourself. No one else is going to know your answer. No one else is going to know. So you can be brutally honest with yourself because the only way you're going to figure this out is if you are honest with yourself. When's the last time? that you decided to set time aside to study the Bible. And I don't mean when's the last time you read it. When's the last time you truly sat down and studied the Bible? Husbands, when's the last time you sat down with your wife and you studied the Bible together? Parents, when's the last time you sat down with your children and you had family devotion time? And you study the Bible and you sing songs with them. I want you to imagine this scenario with me. You get hired for a job. And you begin working at this job. You begin to do very well. You're successful. You're starting to, to rise up in this company. Your boss decides to give you more things to do because uh, you're getting better at your job. So he gives you a list of tasks that he wants you to complete. And so you get this list of tasks and you begin to look over them. And you see some of these things are very easy. Some of these things are things that you already do. Some of them are things that, are, uh, that won't take a lot of effort and you can do them just like that, no big deal. But then as you continue to look at this list, you also begin to realize that there are some things on this list that uh, you don't really want to do. There are some things that are going to take a lot of time. There are some things that are going to take a lot of effort. There are some things that are going to take you away from doing the things that you want to do, but that you must do in order to be pleasing to this boss. Well, what do you do? Well, if you're a good employee, what are you going to do? You're going to do everything on that list, aren't you? Difficult or difficult or not, time-consuming or not, you're going to do whatever it is that your boss asks you to do. But if you're a bad employee, what will you do? If you're a bad employee, you're going to pick and choose the things that you want to do, aren't you? Those things that are easy, those things that don't take much time, you'll do those. But the things that are difficult, the things that require practice, the things that require mental effort and and hard work, those things, well, you just don't do them and surely it'll be okay, right? How do you think your boss is going to react? When he pulls you into his office on Monday morning for a meeting, what are you going to say? Well, Mr. Boss, I, I read over this list of things you wanted me to do. And I understand that I did some of them and you'll be happy about that. But... This list had some things on here with some tasks that are just difficult. There are some tasks on here that are that just going to require a lot of hard work, a lot of effort. They were going to pull me away from things that I wanted to do in my life, so I just didn't do it. And surely it's okay, Mr. Boss. Surely you'll understand, right? Surely you, you, you'll look past it. It will all be okay. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll still get my bonus at the end of the year. I'll get that extra week of vacation. I'll get that promotion we were talking about. Surely everything will be fine if I just do things the way that I want to do them and surely you won't care, right? Are you kidding me? No one in their right mind would ever do that, would they? And if you did, you know you'd be fired on the spot. So if it doesn't work on a secular level, then why in the world do we think that it would work on a spiritual level? Well, God, I just don't manage my time well. Sorry. God, that championship game was so important. Sorry. Well, God, I I had to work. And I know it wasn't a one-time thing. I know I continually missed services and continually miss services just because I had to work. But surely it's okay, right? God, I know I didn't study like I should. God, I know I didn't put my family in the best spiritual position that I could have. I really know that living for you wasn't a priority, but surely you'll overlook it, right? Surely it'll be okay. Surely I can go to heaven even without putting myself and putting in the work and the effort. Surely it'll be fine. But then I remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Look, listen very, very carefully. This may sound harsh, but just because you come week by week and you sit in a padded pew does not mean you're going to heaven. Just because you come and you sing songs, You close your eyes during the prayer, you take some juice, you eat a cracker, you throw a bill on the plate, does not mean that you are a faithful Christian. How do you manage your time? What do you do at the time away from being together in services? Do you devote your time to God or do you devote your time to this world? Are you doing the will of the Father? Number four, the last one for this morning death is not partial. Death is not partial. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our scripture reading that we read at the beginning just a few moments ago. 1 Corinthians 15. I want to take you back to January 26th in Calabasas, California. And I'm going to bring this up because this is a big event in my mind because I love basketball so much. Basketball has been a passion of mine for so many years. So I'm going to talk about this and there's a reason why this sticks out in my mind. I was holding a youth rally. I remember exactly what happened on this day and where I was. I was holding a youth rally down in Texas. I was sitting at Kalen's parents' table and I had a buddy call me. He said, he, said, he said, look, turn the news on. Twitter is blowing up that Kobe Bryant has just died. I said, you're kidding me. There's no way. It's got to be a hoax or something. So I turned on the news. I got on Twitter and sure enough, there was live footage of Kobe Bryant's helicopter that was on fire that, was cra- that had crashed into the side of that mountain. Now, we can think about Kobe Bryant for just a moment. Kobe Bryant was a five-time NBA championship. He was a two-time NBA Finals MVP. He was voted to 18 different NBA All-Star Games. Of those 18 games, he appeared in 15 of them. And then of those 15 appearances, he won two MVPs. He won one regular season NBA MVP. He was a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He also won an Oscar. His net worth on January 26th was upwards of $500 million. But he died at the age of 41. His daughter, Gianna, also died. She was 13 years old. She no doubt had a career waiting for her in women's basketball, and she died. Seven other people died. Life is so precious, isn't it? You know, I'm sure that they had plans, didn't they? In fact, their destination on that helicopter was that they were going to a basketball tournament. They were going to go play basketball all day. I'm sure that they had plans after that game. I'm sure that they had plans, just like many of you back then, you had just planned out probably your entire year for 2020. I'm sure that they had planned so many things that they wanted to do. I'm sure they had plans with their families. I'm sure that they had things that they wanted to do, things that they wanted to accomplish during this past year, but they didn't get to. They didn't get to do any of it. You see, that's the thing about death, isn't it? Death doesn't care, does it? Death doesn't care about who you are. Death doesn't care about what you mean to others. You see, death isn't partial. Death is no respecter of persons in the sense that death doesn't care what your name is, does it? Death doesn't care who you belong to. Death doesn't care what you look like, how much money you make, how many people know you. Death simply doesn't care about you. You see, Kobe Bryant is one of the most decorated athletes of his generation. By all world standards, he was a very successful individual. He was a celebrity of sorts. But you see, death didn't care. None of that mattered to death. And that might scare us a little bit when we think about it. But then I think about what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you look here at verse 53, the Bible says, Paul says this. He says, for this incorruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this life, death is champion, isn't it? Death in this life is undefeated. So how do we conquer it? How do we defeat the undefeated? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through living our lives for him. Look, I know in this past year, we experienced and suffered so much death. Even in this family, this congregation right here, we experienced death. You see, death doesn't care. But how beautiful it is that we can have hope in Jesus Christ. How beautiful it is that we can have victory in Jesus Christ. Look, I'm right there with you. 2020 was not a great year. I'm glad it's almost over. But I do want you to understand this, that when the calendar year changes from 2020 to 2021, when January 1st rolls around, when that clock hits 12.01 a.m., this world's not going to be a whole lot different, is it? Things are still going to be here. Strife is still going to be here. Sickness will still be here. Death will still be here. The point of all all of that was this. We can make it whatever we go through if we rely on God. We can make it through every single year if we plan with God in mind, if we trust in God, if we manage our time, and if we understand that death at any moment might take us. Are you ready for that moment? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Know that you can change that this morning. You can come forward to be baptized for the remission of your sins, just like the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts chapter 8, you can walk out these doors rejoicing, knowing you're on your way to heaven. Or maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but maybe you haven't been living your life for the Lord. Maybe this past year has gotten you off track. Maybe you have uh, gotten in kind of a rut and kind of a slump in your Christianity. Know that you can change that. If you sinned, you can repent of those things. We can pray for you. And you too can go on your way rejoicing, knowing that your sins are forgiven. Look, I understand that none of us expect to die anytime soon. I hope that none of, us, none of us die anytime soon. But could it be, and I hope and pray this never happens, and God forbid that it does. But could it be that you walk out these doors, you go to lunch, and you never make it home? Could that happen? 100%, It could. You see, when Kobe Bryant and those other eight individuals got on in that helicopter, I guarantee you not a single one of them thought that that was going to be the last thing that they did in this life. They weren't ready for it, but are you. You can be ready for it. Don't leave this morning without knowing, without a, with, without a shadow of a doubt in your mind of where your eternal destiny is going to be.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. May God bless you.